When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Rolling Stone Executive Editor Nathan Brackett. Today we're going to hear some of our recent interview with Paul Simon. We're also going to talk about the triumph of positive hip-hop and Chance the Rapper. And we're also going to talk about some of the greatest unreleased albums of all time. But first, today's episode of Rolling Stone Music Now is brought to you by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer. Sign up for Stamps.com and get a four-week trial and a $110 bonus offer when you use the promo code MUSIC. Today's episode is also brought to you by Helix Sleep. Get a great night's sleep on a mattress that's customized just for you. Go to helixsleep.com backslash music and get $50 off your order. And we're back, and that was Blessings from the new album from Chance the Rapper, probably the biggest hip-hop record of the moment. Although, I don't know, it's actually, I mean, there's the Drake album, too. (laughs) I'm here here with Britney Spanos. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, of course. This Chance record is certainly the biggest album of this week. Yeah. In in a very exciting four weeks. (laughs) (laughs) It's number one in iTunes, I think, right now, or number one on Apple Music. Yeah which has an exclusive for the record, which is mm-hmm. another story because we're in this age of exclusives where you can only <laughs> get certain albums on certain streaming services. Yeah. But this is probably the most positive, conscious-minded like hip-hop album I've ever heard at this level. Definitely. It feels like Chance the Rapper is kind of delivering on the promise of like kind of 90s hip-hop or like <laughs> even the, the thing that going way back to like the kind of the, the thing that you know began with like De La Soul, like alternative hip-hop and positive hip-hop. Mm-hmm. He's managed to have like the most exciting one of the biggest hip-hop albums in the country and it's incredibly like it's like gospel influenced yeah how are you liking it Brittany so far I mean especially post views in the life of Pablo and even Lemonade and Those a lot the of new other al- albums for people at home that's a new album from Drake yeah. and Kanye West yeah and just like these sort of and darker Beyonce. sadder subject matters that a lot of big hip-hop and R&B and pop musicians are really addressing this year. And then there's Chance, who's just so grateful. Like, he's just happy to be here. And so I am loving Coloring Book and just how happy he is. I mean, obviously, Acid Rap is really his, like... That was his debut. Yeah. Well, actually, maybe... Well, his second mixtape. Sorry, yeah. second mixtape. Yeah, Brittany, if you don't mind, maybe you could take listeners, kind of get them up to speed on Chance the Rapper and who he is. Mm-hmm. So how- Chance the Rapper is this very young, um, I believe he is 22. 23. Yeah, Two? 22, 23. 22, 23. Very young Southside Chicago rapper who really broke through with Acid Rap, which I believe came out in 2012. And so that was his big sort of mainstream breakthrough. And he's been an independent rapper. He stayed independent for Coloring Book as well. And he's just doing his own thing and has become really big on the touring circuit. And one very cool thing about him, just building on that, is that he's never released an album you can buy, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, he really is committed to, like, free music, putting out his music for free. He's kind of an unabashed 
And I don't mean this in a pejorative way, like Mama's Boy. You know, yeah. I mean, he's like really <laughs> like, you know, he, one of my favorite Chance the Rapper songs is from the Donnie Trumpet record from last year. Mm. Uh, and we put Sunday Candy. Like yeah. we made it uh, one of the top 10 songs on, on our year end list mm-hmm. of 2015. And it's basically a song about his grandma. It's so sweet. <laughs> this album totally like continues in that that vein. Yeah, I mean, that's always been what has stood out for me with Chance. Like all the, his songs about family are so incredible. I mean, on Acid Rap, he had a lot of songs that's just like about his grandma and his mom and his dad and his brother and just like their influence on him. So now we have Chance, who is now a new father, and he's exploring what it's like to be a dad in on this album and coming from the sort of like generational thankfulness for his family. And now he's sort of wants to pass this on to his child. Yeah, so you had a guy who was already like pretty family oriented and now there's <laughs> this like explosion of positivity <laughs> coming out. Yeah. But I mean there's so much going on with this record. I mean the it's definitely the most gospel influenced hip hop mm-hmm. record I've ever heard. Yeah. I mean, starting with this from the first track, which is kind of a continuation of his song with Kanye West, which is on the life of Pablo. It's the first track <laughs> on the life of Pablo, but it's very much in that spirit. It's almost that he even says like, and you know, and we're back, and it sounds a lot like Kanye's on the first song. Mm-hmm. It's called All We Got. All We Got. Yeah. yeah. This ain't no intro. It's the entree. Hit that intro with Kanye. I sound like Andre. Trying to turn my baby mama to my fiance. She like music. She from Houston. Like it's interesting to look at sort of from the progression that he's made from each album. And I mean, the and we're back pulling from good ass intro off of acid rap and the way that he opened that album, which didn't really quite hit the same gospel gargantuanness of this song and of the way that he's really grown as a rapper and as an artist and to see how he's pulled this like more anthemic sound this more very religious and really just thankfulness and graciousness yeah. and, in and his music to, and just to be to be fair yeah i mean he had his songs about smoking cigarettes mm-hmm. and and you know he's not like a, a total choir boy yeah. on all of his songs and there's certainly and even on this album there's one song called no problem with lil wayne Talking about like, you know, taking over labels and <laughs> which I almost felt bad for the record labels with this song. It's like, here's this guy. He's like one of the hottest rappers uh, in the country talking about labels trying to stop me. I'm going to, you know, going to take over your lobby. I'm, I'm uh, using euphemisms here a little bit. And, you know, the poor record labels, they've never been like more diminished. <laughs> like ever, you know, they're, they're, they've had like a famously bad 20 year run. Yeah. And now, you know, like who, how are they even going to try to stop this guy? You know, <laughs> it seems like an unfair fight at this point. That's what I love with the Kanye song because he has Kanye on there, but he's also like, I'm not going to sign to Kanye's label, which is just really funny because of how much Kanye really tries to push his good music artists. I mean, designer, he has this huge break with The Life of Pablo with Panda being sampled on there. So he's like, right. I'm not going to be on Kanye's label. Yeah, sorry, buddy. I'll be your protege, but don't try to sign me to one of those those things. Kanye's best prodigy. He ain't signed me, but he proud of me. You also mentioned uh, Juke Jam, which is a very sweet song, just yeah. about like meeting a high school sweetheart, like mm-hmm. a roller skate, a roller skate rink. I remember you, you used to, I remember you, cause we've got so much history, baby. Juke. 
This is, again, Justin Bieber and Chance um, pairing up. They paired together on Justin Bieber's Journals, which came out in 2013, which was this more R&B sound from Bieber, and Chance had this great feature on Confident. So it's cool to see them pair up again because I feel like they work really well together, and I think that Chance was definitely one of the better features on Journals. And so to see kind of Justin sort of getting back to his like crooner side and being on this song and sort of a more low-key feature from him on this really sweet sort of high school, junior high-ish kind of love song is really awesome. I feel like there have been so many different types of MCs and rappers for decades. There's always been like kind of more conscious and political rappers or more positive-minded rappers. But I think one key difference is that hip-hop kind of has the space Mm -hmm. for someone like that to get big. Yeah. Which is kind of exceptional. Like we're in such a a remarkable time for hip-hop. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, especially with Chance, because he's not saying anything that's particularly political. It's more of a political act that he's happy. Right. Like he's just like, I'm going to not tell you, I'm going to show you that this is my life, that I've become this independent star and I've done this really on his own. And all these people like Kanye sort of backing him has come very naturally and sort of after time and after he's really established himself on his own. And now he has a family and he's really appreciative about that. And it's really, it's very political to just be almost happy and just to right. be like... No, I mean, it? it's a definitely like a hip-hop thing yeah. about like, you know, smiling on your album cover. Mm-hmm. But Chance is someone who can say like, hey, no label put me up to this because mm-hmm. I did it all myself. You know what I mean? I'm just yeah. doing this because this is who I am. And as you said... Yeah, he's just, he's very proud of where he came from too and what he's done for the community of Chicago and for the artistic scene there, for especially teenagers. He hosts this open mic night every Monday in Chicago for high schoolers. So he really wants to pass down this torch even though he's he's already super young. Like he like doesn't really, he's already really close in age to everyone. But It's he been has, said, yeah. He yeah. seems like an old soul. Yeah, yeah, he has like a lot of youthful nostalgia for like the past and also just for his own youth and all that, but yeah. Well, anyway, this is an exciting record and one that's going to reveal itself, I'm sure. Yeah. Are there any other tracks that you love? I mean, Angel still holds up really well. To hear it in the context of the album, um, which was Angels was released late last year featuring Saba, and there was a music video that came out and everything, and it's just this very beautiful, melodic song, and it holds up really well in the context of the album, which is nice to hear it all together. And I also really love All Night featuring Knox Fortune. That song is the more more turnt song on the album, which is it still even works within the context of it. It doesn't feel too separate, but it's more of the the party song that acid rap really had a lot of. Well, all right, Britney Spanos, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Sometimes it feels like there aren't enough hours in the day. So if you're still making trips to the post office, you need a better way. Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can buy and print official United States postage for any letter or package right from your computer and printer. We have a special offer where you can sign up for Stamps.com and use the promo code MUSIC. You'll get a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer, which includes postage and a cool digital scale. So go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in MUSIC. That's stamps.com and enter music. Milwaukee man led a fairly decent life, made a fairly decent living, had a fairly decent wife. She killed him, sushi knife. And that was The Werewolf from the new album by Paul Simon, 
called Stranger to Stranger. We're going to talk about that today, and we're also going to hear some of our recent interview. I'm here with the man who interviewed Paul Simon, Andy Green, associate editor at Rolling Stone. Hi, hey, Andy. Hi, Nathan. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. No problem. So tell me about this record. The last Paul Simon record, So Beautiful or So What, which came out a few years ago, was terrific. Yeah, it, it was shockingly great, and it was almost totally ignored. It was a real bummer just to see the people, they just, they just didn't embrace it. I think his audience is not that interested in hearing new music, which is something that he really grapples with. Right. Which almost makes him try even harder. Well, this is something that a lot of people have talked about recently, because this is the Stranger to Stranger in the new record, which I think is almost as good, or maybe maybe as good as So Beautiful or So What. It's not a difficult record, but it's a record where he's pushing himself. Yeah, he does not like redoing things that he's already done. So for this one, he really pushed himself to work with Italian DJs, this guy Clap Clap that his son knew about, with these weird instruments that are only at a college in like New Jersey. I mean, it's a really innovative, bold album. It's very rhythmic. He seems like kind of genetically incapable of like coasting for a record. Like I don't yeah. think you're never going to see him do like a Rod Stewart standards record. No, he spent like four years making this record and really obsessed over every line and every bit of it. It was not half-assed in the least. Well, everything is very conscious. Like I don't know if you've ever seen Paul Simon on one of those VH1 classic album episodes. I think we were talking about this. Well, he he did one for I think it was Graceland, uh-huh. and there is nobody better at like breaking down a song than Paul Simon. Like he can tell you exactly what he was thinking with the bass line and like oh this one the the sound sounded sounded a little too rich on this and we took it down and, and like everything seems very very on purpose. What's going on with this record? I mean, The Werewolf, is, it's a pretty dark song. I mean, it's basically, it's, it's about, like, the Grim Reaper. Yeah, I think, you know, he's a guy that turns 75 pretty soon. He's sort of aware of his own mortality, and The Werewolf is about that, basically, that all of us will be dead one day, and for some of us, it'll be sooner than others. There's also some, I hate the word, like, social commentary, but right. the, the wristband, the first single, which we talked about a few episodes ago, is also... It, it's very funny. It's about this kind of older rock star who gets locked out of his show, but it's also about... Um, In the third verse, the story changes from this funny story about a rocker that gets locked out of his own concert to the wristbands serving as a metaphor for the haves and the have-nots. And then, then the haves, they have wristbands, but there's plenty of people that don't. And that's, you know, you know it's, a, it's a very clever way to sort of flip it. What are the other songs that uh, have jumped out for you on this record? There's Cool Papa Bell which is about, about an old baseball player, but also a bit more than that. That's a fantastic one. Every day I'm here, I'm grateful. And that's the gist of it. Now you may call that a bogus bullshit new age point of view. Their street angel. I think that was inspired by an insane asylum. We hide our hearts like and some of these characters are are the main characters in one song. In the next song, they casually mention, so they're, they're sort of like these little Easter eggs that are sort of that are throughout the whole album, which is right. the first time that he's ever done that. Well, let's get into your interview with him. You talked to him a few weeks ago, and you talked about both the making of the new album and and his touring plans. It's kind of a combination of analog thinking and digital thinking, and then. The addition of this Italian musician, D.G. Galassio, who calls himself Clap Clap, uh-huh. uh, some of his stuff is just great. He's, 
he, I think he's great. He's hardly known. I don't think he's known here. So how did you find out about him? My son, Adrian, uh, is a composer and a producer, and that's his world, you know, electronic, electronic dance music, those kind of, you know, he's, he's 23, and he, he knows that world, and he told me about him, and I went to listen to one of his albums called Tai Beba, T-A-Y-I-B-E-B-B-A. It's so great. Mm-hmm. It's African samples that he put, you know, put digital dance grooves behind. And it's really, uh, it's, 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 it's really a masterpiece. It's just great. So I contacted him, and when I played in Milan, we met, and I played him, you know, the album and the place where it was then, and... I asked him if he wanted to play on any of the tracks, and he picked a couple of the tracks. And you know, he added—he just added tons of stuff and let me weed out whatever I didn't want and use what I use what I did want. He was living in Sardinia then, and he, you know, he'd do the stuff in the studio in Sardinia and then send it to me. Wow! So he's on uh, Werewolf. He's on uh, Wristband. He's on Street uh, Angel. Yeah, it's a great. Those three. It's I think a, those three. It makes, it, it makes the sounds you know, n- new and old at the same time. You talk in the album notes about your own past being a bit of an obstacle. I'm wondering if you can elaborate a bit on that. Well, you know, it's like I, was, I went out to do Prairie Home Companion with Chris Thiele, you know, from Punch Brothers. Uh-huh. The, the, you know, in the, the, the mandolin player, he's a virtuoso uh-huh. mandolin. And uh, they opened up for us on tour a couple of years ago. They're a great band. And, uh, you know, I gave him the album, and he said, you know, if this is an album that came out with a, not your name on it, but a new artist, uh-huh. it would, like, immediately be talked about. Right. People would say, whoa, what's, you know, where, who is this? And, but given that it's you, people have to go through, well, is it, uh, it going to be uh, Graceland, or is it going to be... 70s, uh, you know, is it going to be me and Julio? Is it going to be Simon and Garfunkel? Is it going to be the Cape Man? I mean, is it going right. to be your one? What, you know, what's it going to be? And uh, how is he going to sing? And all of these questions that you sort of have to overcome in order for people to listen with fresh ears so that they're not disappointed or... In other words, if it was a new artist, there'd be no preconceptions. Right. But as it's a, an artist who's been familiar to the public for 50 years, there are a lot of preconceptions. So to get people to listen in a way that's open, mm-hmm. you have to really make something that's interesting. It has to really be interesting because people are prepared for it to be not interesting. Right, and I think people are so emotionally attached to music you made decades ago, it's hard for them to just let go of that, because when they hear an old song, it reminds them of their life back then, and some people just don't want to hear a new song from somebody that they loved, you know. That would be the the older demographic. Right, right, yeah. The younger younger demographic, Mm. you know, which is a pretty high percentage of my concert audience. Oh, yeah, for sure. If they know those songs, they know it through their parents. Right. So they're more, uh, you know, they're more interested in hearing me play a rewrite from uh, So Beautiful or So What, or, yeah. you know, they, well, they want to hear something from The Cape Man, or... Yeah, or like The Obvious Child, even, which is so much fun or, to Or, yeah, or some tune from Rhythm of the Saints that I haven't played, and... Right. Uh, that's the group that likes Rhythm of the Saints more than Graceland. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of, there are a lot of people in that, in that world, too. Well, I'm... I'm trying to make something that's interesting to, well, 
I'm trying to make something that's interesting to me. Right. So are there certain old songs you're thinking about playing again I on this so. tour that you've done a long time? Yeah, sure. I think people want to hear... They want to hear You Can Call Me Al. Right. So I play it. You know, it's not like I would pick out You Can Call Me Al and say I play this song because I really yeah. want to. Right. But I think people like it so much that it's like, okay, I'll, of course, I'm, I'll play it, you know. Mm-hmm. I'll play uh, Me and Julio. I actually like to play Me and Julio. You yeah. Know? Um, so there's like 10, I take like 10 of my hits mm-hmm. and play them, and then like three or four songs from this album, two songs from the last album, a song from You're the One, you know, cover tunes like, uh, you know, we do like uh, little medleys of stuff, like we'll do... Uh, like do Mystery Train or something. Like. We do rewrite. And it goes right into honky tonk, right? And it comes out into uh, slip sliding away. Yeah, uh, those kind of things. So we used to do hearts and bones into mystery train into wheels, and yeah, you know that kind of stuff. Where like the you know the band likes to go back into playing. Uh, some of the band, me particularly, likes to go back into playing. Right now, you're playing Forest Hill Stadium. I'm sure that's going to be a fun night for you, right? It's been so many years. I think so. Yeah, that's the first big concert venue that we played. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, do fond memories. My neighborhood, where I grew up. Yeah. Right, and you played that stadium in 1970 for the last time, I I think. Yeah, that was was kind of the final Simon and Garfunkel concert before... uh, The long break? The reunions, uh, you know, came many years later. Yeah. Now, fans are always curious about that. Do you think that there's going to be one more tour with Simon and Garfunkel ever? No, that is the question. Why? We don't even talk. Uh, so, I mean, Paul, do you, you do you want to keep doing this in like ten years from now and five years from now? Do you ever think a about retirement, or or you want to go as long as you possibly can? And that doesn't even occur to you. No, I think I think more about retirement. Oh, why? Because I'm interested in. Uh, well, first of all, I think it's an easy thing to try and see if you're you know you get bored, and uh-huh. I'm curious to see what happens with uh, my sort of inborn creative impulse if I deny it this outlet that I've been doing since I'm 12, which is writing songs. Right. I want to see what else, it'll, what else it might produce that could be really interesting about, you know, the whole big picture of life and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can always come back and, you know, try to write music and to come back to that. Yeah, and your voice. I don't know, Philip. Uh, Philip Glass is he just you know he's he's my other you know kind of one of my role models, and he just you know he just keeps going like he's like he'll say to me, well if you don't do it, we'll write a Paul Simon song. <laughs> he definitely didn't seem very eager to talk about uh, Art Garfunkel or the possibility of a Simon and Garfunkel yeah, reunion. It's a very sensitive topic. They've been friends since 1954 or something when they met in the sixth grade. And it's gone through so many phases, in and out. They're closed. They aren't speaking. They're touring again. And in 2003, they made peace, and they toured through 2009 and were making a lot of money and seemed to be friends again. There's even pictures of them seeing Yankees games, you know, when they, they would go together, and they weren't even paid to be there. But Art lost his voice maybe five years ago, and it came back, and and Paul seemed to have lost which is, interest in Which is an awful story. I mean, like, he yeah. really did... Uh, he. 
blew out his his vocal cords from too much singing, or do you know what the... He told me he was playing a private gig down in Mexico or something, or South America even, and he choked on some lobster. Oh, my God. And he was okay, but after that, he just couldn't sing in tune or, like, sing at all. And it took years for him to recover his voice. He really had to just build it back up with lots of training. Right, and the summer that he blew it, there was a Simon and Garfunkel tour book that they postponed. And then Art was hoping that when he recovered, that those dates would happen. And Paul didn't want to do that. And Paul told me that they're not even speaking anymore. Right. And it was not something that he seemed to want to talk much about. But Art has been talking about him to the press in very unkind ways, which is not surprising. Well, it's it's kind of a, like a brotherly relationship with lots of ups and downs. I mean, it, and it kind of began playing out in public Decades ago, with for one, I mean, the only living boy in New York, which Paul wrote about Art Garfunkel. What right when Art Garfunkel was kind of a hot Hollywood property, yeah. and he had starred in Carnal yeah. Knowledge. They both got cast in the Mike Nichols film Catch Twenty Two, and then Paul's part got dropped from the movie. But Art still was in the movie, and he flew on to Mexico to film his role, and Paul was very lonely and upset about it. So he wrote The Only Living Boy in New York, and then the group broke up. It, it sometimes does surprise me, as I'm a huge solo Paul Simon fan, it does sometimes surprise me how much people, you know, really want a Simon and Garfunkel yeah. reunion. As much as I love Simon and Garfunkel, you know, I mean, Paul yeah. Simon is up there with anybody for right. me. I, I you it's know... just. <laughs> Peak boomer nostalgia stuff. I think you're not quite old enough. <laughs> <laughs> I think people that grew up in the 60s, those albums sold millions and millions and millions and millions were all over the radio. Then The Graduate, such a crucial movie for that period for people's lives. Right. And, and they Paul, were those songs, in fairness, were yeah. like kind of top 40 in a way right. that the Paul Simon songs weren't. Yeah, a lot of them were There's something with yeah. their voices together. And when Paul tours now, he plays theaters. When it's with Garfunkel, it's in arenas. The tickets right. cost $400. They sell out. I mean, it's a much bigger thing, Simon and Garfunkel, than just Simon. And I think that probably still bothers Simon. He's done so much great stuff on his own. And it's been 45 years of that. And people are like, so are you in a tour again with Garfunkel? I mean, I can understand why my question would bother him because it's like – it's been right. 45 years, enough of Garfunkel. He's one of the few artists kind of at his age level who's really still yeah. pushing himself I and, think, and successfully pushing yeah, himself. Yeah, I think him and Leonard Cohen are the two artists of the 60s that still make incredibly vital new music, still sing great, still really care, still care as much as they ever did. And it's incredible. I mean, his voice is amazing for his age. And his tour right now is very cool. We're looking forward to seeing him. He's playing it in Forest Hills. Forest Hills Stadium, the first time he's played there since the last tour with Garfunkel on all of the original run in 1970. It'll be kind of a Queen's homecoming. Yeah, it's a Forest Hills homecoming. He, they grew up right there. You can probably walk. It's probably a very short walk from his childhood home to that tennis stadium. Well, Andy Green, thanks for coming on. I'll see you in Forest Hills. Yep, I'll be there. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to guess that you're unique. You don't walk like everyone, talk like everyone, or sleep like everyone. So why is your mattress one size fits all? Because a truly customized mattress will cost you five to 10,000 bucks until now. If you go to helixsleep.com, answer some simple questions based on four key preferences, 
They'll run it through their proprietary algorithm, develop your custom sleep profile, and the result is going to be the most comfortable mattress you've ever slept on. That's why everyone from GQ to Forbes are talking about Helix Sleep. You have 100 nights to try it out, and if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a 100% refund, no questions asked. Go to helixsleep.com slash music and get $50 off your order. That's helixsleep.com slash music. Life is for the living. Don't sit around in your ass, smoke grass. That stuff went out a long time ago. And that was Life is for the Living by the Beach Boys, which is from their lost album, Adult Child. This is the reader mail segment, and we're going to talk about a recent story uh, that ran on RollingStone.com on 15 legendary unreleased albums. I'm here with Hank Steamer, senior music editor at RollingStone.com. Hank, thanks for coming on. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. All right. So you edited this story. That's correct. What was the most fun part, or, or what was the album that jumped out for you? It was like, oh my God, I can't believe this isn't out. Or Well, there's they, they kind of fall into two categories. There are certainly albums that uh, I think fans really wanted to hear, like this Neil Young album, Homegrown, um, which has sort of become legendary among his fans, and it almost came out. I come down from the misty mountain I got lost on the human highway Take my Apparently he was playing his his recent music for Rick Danko of the band and Rick Danko kind of was kind of like no you should put out tonight's the night instead so then homegrown got shelved. Oh, uh, it was Danko's fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that that was a sort of like a near miss, but then there are these other records that for whatever reason were just kind of scrapped. And some of them were released in like kind of different forms. Yeah, exactly. Like the album we know is Let It Be by the Beatles was originally supposed to be this project called Get Back, which was more like raw rehearsal type album. And then and then there's a David Bowie album as well. The the album that came out as Young Americans was originally supposed to be called The Gouster. Right. uh, Which was this like Philly soul influence thing that that kind of took a different course after he recorded the song Fame. um, Right. And they and they reworked it. But there's other albums that basically we don't you know, we know very little of, which there was this Pink Floyd album called Household Objects. As its title would indicate, it was basically the band, they they had this idea of coming up with songs that were all played on like household, like kitchen items, light bulbs, saws, hammers, and brooms, and all this sort of stuff. I can't see why they didn't put that one out. It's like, (laughs) you know, like animals and dark side of the moon, and then then we got household objects. Well, yeah, I mean, and apparently it almost happened. And there, there was an interview with Richard Wright where he's, you know, he, he remembered, he says, I remember sitting down with Roger Waters and saying, Roger, you know, this is insane. And, you know, I guess it, there was kind of a conflict in the band whether they, they should pursue this. But I think that, you know, it's just kind of fascinating to think about, especially with, with Prince, because we know that he has this huge vault, literally, in, in the basement of Paisley Park where there's, like, untold Which riches. we've been writing a lot about lately, e- for sure. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I think, too, we've also been celebrating things like, you know, the anniversary of Pet Sounds, the anniversary of, of Blonde on Blonde. I think these classic albums, like a lot of times you don't think about how like an artist's discography is, it's sometimes sort of arbitrary. Like the album that comes out, you know, it could have been another record. Right. Especially with someone that's insanely prolific, like like a Neil Young or like Prince or something like that. You know, they might have put this out, they might have put that out. Unless you're you know? Kanye West and then you can just keep changing it on title. You can right. just keep fixing wolves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I assume a lot of this stuff has been bootlegged or some of this stuff at least is, is available online. One of the better known ones on this list is the the kind of alternate version of Born in the USA. 
right? Uh, or or n- Nebraska. Of Nebraska, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Electric Nebraska. Electric Nebraska is a thing where, you know, Bruce sort of recorded these demos of all the songs in that record, and then, and then you know, he just kind of intended them as sketches, and then he took them in, and the E Street Band, like, cut versions of all these songs, and then he sort of listened back to it and was like, you know, this just isn't right for these songs. These songs are supposed to be more intimate and, and more kind of stripped down, and they basically just kind of you know, shelved the the full band version of it, and it came out as the as essentially the demo that he made. Right. Like Max Weinberg, there was an interview with David Frick that ran a couple months ago where, you know, Max Weinberg says that there is this electric Nebraska sitting in the vault that we might hear, we might not, but it exists. And that's one that it, that isn't out there on YouTube or. Yeah, I mean, the the band had played versions of those songs live. Like, right. Like you can you can find versions of the band playing Atlantic City and other and other songs we know from that record. But as far as I know, there's not. Um, you know, those haven't come out. Right. And, you know, there, there's other stuff like that on this too. Like there's a Jeff Beck Motown album that he did. And then, you know, and, and again, it was another one where he just kind of went in and did it and then just like felt like it had been a disaster and was like, I don't want this to come out. And so, and so some of these, you know, we know they happened, but we don't have, we can't hear anything from them. Right. Before we get to the reader mail, were there any other like kind of revelations here as you edited this story? Uh... I guess one of the interesting things is just thinking about sort of how arbitrary this whole thing is. You know, how a lot of these records, they could have gone two ways. Like there was a Clash record called- With Rap you know, Patrol from Fort yeah, Bragg. Rap yeah. Patrol from Fort Bragg, yeah. And it was like Mick Jones's idea and he wanted to do this like ambitious double album. You know, it's funny because Glenn Johns, the producer, he comes up in a lot of these. It seems like people would call him in a lot of times when they wanted to kind of fix things. Right. And, and they had this- you you know, sprawling double album, and he and Glenn Johns came in and kind of like chopped it all down and then made it into combat rock. But it's just sort of fascinating to think about. And, and I think with, with the Beatles' Get Back too, which apparently, again, was kind of this sprawling thing, was very like intimate fly on the wall, just Beatles, you know, rehearsal recording. Well, the Beatles were like super influenced by the band at that point, right? And they were trying to like kind of recreate almost that kind of live feel. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, it seems like they really just wanted to set up and, and play. And, and, and you know, apparently there was a lot of, like, studio chatter on that record originally. I guess overall it's just sort of fascinating to think about, you know, this kind of, like, what could have been. I mean, there's also a, a, a Jimi Hendrix record, where this album called Black Gold, where he just, again, it was kind of like the Bruce thing where he just recorded demos on a tape, a cassette tape, and gave them to, to Mitch Mitchell and nothing ever came of it. And then like Mitch Mitchell found the the tape in his house years and years later. Apparently that's supposed to come out. I and mean, that's the thing. A lot of these things, I think like with the Beach Boys smile, like some of this stuff, you know, maybe eventually some, you know, the, co- the record company decides to put it out because, you know, it's all there. Well, maybe you've helped push this, push that process along with this story. Yeah. But I, let, let, I, sorry, well, sorry go I was going to say, I should say that, that I, I just wanted to give credit to Jordan Runtaw, who was, who was the writer who put this together for us and, and was really the, the brains behind a lot of this. So I just want to make sure we shout him all out. All right. Yeah. Uh, here's some reader mail. Okay. This is from a uh, username, Walter Lambert. Nebraska contains the most insipid lyrics ever. It is trite high school meanderings. I never understood the appeal of this album. Would you agree, Hank? <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't agree. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a fan of the record. I think it's generally considered to be one of Bruce's like it was know, masterpieces. The, it was the chicken man in Atlantic City that threw Maybe Walter. Maybe that was the insipid was, part. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to say. <laughs> um, okay, this is from Magnus Hagermeer. That Let It Be was the Beatles' weakest album only confirms how great they were before they split up and how important George Martin was. Actually, I, I don't know if Let It Be is my least favorite Beatles album. I know a lot of people feel that way. I don't but, feel that way. Yeah, I don't feel that way either. But I, I take his point. 
I mean, like even when the Beatles weren't. Right. At their know, worst, all, they were still the Beatles or still, something. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is from a username, maybe not the person's real name, Apple Scruffs. Paul was right about the long and winding road. Spectre butchered it. He butchered the whole album. Thankfully, Apple Records re-released Let It Be without Spectre's crappy production. It's a great album without all the choirs and orchestral junk. I don't disagree with Apple Scruffs. He's referring to Let It Be Naked. Right. Which was that Which record. is the, the yeah. closest we have to what this Get Back album would have been. Right. I think like a lot of people, you know, I grew up with the Spectre version of Long and Winding Road, and so I'm used to it, and yeah. it doesn't bother me. But if you listen to it without all, all that stuff, it's an improvement. Yeah, and apparently that's really how they wanted it, you know? Right. They wanted it without the, the fluff. Right. Okay, this is from username Senior Plaid. He decided that the delicate demo tape suited the music far better than barroom bombast. He's quoting the item about the electric Nebraska, mm-hmm. which we, you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And this is what Senior Platt is saying. And anyone who's ever heard the acoustic version of Born in the USA can attest to that. It's a completely different song. Okay, that's a fair point. It definitely does something different when you have a full band playing mm-hmm. on a song. Mm-hmm. Maybe at some point, Electric Nebraska will come out and we can all debate over the, the real stuff. But until then, Hank Steamer, thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right. Yeah. And that's it for Rolling Stone Music Now. If you like what you heard, give us a review on the iTunes Store or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.